0: Thank mm-hmm.
1: Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? It's good to be with you. It's truly a grace. So many things during this virus have been taken from us. To has still have the, the freedom, the wonder, the invention of electricity, of the Internet, of all of that is just so wonderful. It, you know, it's, it's when we're so used to things we take them for granted. We are uh, duped into thinking we need them when we haven't had them prior to their invention. We can't live without them anymore. And when they're taken from us, we have the great grace of returning to being grateful for everything. Everything comes from God. Everything comes from God. So I pray that you're well And um, I know the time we're suffering, we're all in this together, Um, but if some of you listening have contracted the virus or have family members, um, I know some people who have also, and um, we're fine here uh, at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, and we pray for all of you every day, by the way, and for those of you who are ill um, do you know what I thought? Rather than talking about the virus and the world situation and even the situation in the church and all of that, we need to set our minds on the things above, not those on the earth. And it's time, you know, children are home now. It's time to start homeschooling. Um, that's a great controversy. And, um, our next newsletter. I've been promising an Easter newsletter. It's almost finished. But anyone listening, we haven't sent it out yet. So you haven't missed it. It's going to be going to the printer at the end of this week. It's very late. But um, we have been uh, following developments on different things. And um, we are late in producing this newsletter. Um, but we're going to have another one that we put together right on the heels of this one because I've been promising a newsletter really dealing with homeschooling. So this current one will have a couple of wonderful articles and also resources, and the one to follow will have even more. Um, And so, dear adults and, and teenagers and up, Um, while you're home and schooling your children we need to school ourselves Um, it's time to really know our faith not to depend on others bishops and priests and uh, professors we need to know the faith uh, that we've been given and there's a favorite author of mine frank uh, j sheed s-h-e-e-d a couple of centuries ago, one of the greatest apologists, he's written many, many books. And the book that I want to read uh, between us now is Theology for Beginners. Now, I read this uh, coming into the Catholic Church. It is absolutely wonderful. It was written first in 1957. I'm, I'm looking at a, uh, a 2011 reprint of it. It's an excellent, excellent book theology for beginners some of you uh, that may turn off uh, your desire to even hear it because it says theology you said what do i know i'm not studying theology i have a family to raise and all of that don't do that theology is just the study of god and and you you need you have a vocation to uh, transmit the understanding of god to your children And this is theology for beginners. And others of you are going to say, well, forget that one. I'm not a beginner. This is not for me. I'm more advanced. Um, Wait until you read this first. Wait until we get into it some. But you know why? Because uh, some years ago, let's see now, this is um, 2020. I would say it was in 2000. Nine or eleven, two thousand eleven. I forget. I wrote a study when I was on staff with Catholic Answers on the Gospel of Luke, and it turned out to be a three hundred page workbook and a thirty nine lesson series from EWTN. And a lot of it took it went through twenty books to write it in lots of hours. Um, and there was one particular book that a dear friend, Steve Ray, many of you know him, he knew I was doing a study of Luke, and he found this book, and he um, sent it to me, used used bookstore out of print, and he sent it to me. And it became my favorite book. It was the deepest study that I had. And at the end of the study, when the Gospel of Luke was finished, I happened to read the inside cover uh, pages on the printing date and all that and I learned that it had been published in 1908 for high schoolers unbelievable you have college theology graduates today that wouldn't have known what was in that book for high schoolers I was floored because I found that book fabulous and a challenge and it had a bonus section which was a just a a real gift, I said, This is fantastic, and then I realized it was for high schools. My goodness, so if you think you're a beginner, we're going to be beginners the rest of our life. We'll never know all there is to know, but i would I would say, hold stay around. we're going to be reading from this and learning the faith together, and we'll go through it every day and uh, unless we have an exception of any kind and then um uh, and then after the half-hour break, uh, we'll, we'll take your calls and texts and emails, as always. I'll give you the toll-free number ahead of time so you can call in uh, or just have it ready for you. It's toll-free, 877 5483 And the email is mother at the station of the cross dot com. Let me begin. And Frank Sheed begins by asking a question— why study theology? Why? And that's philosophy. Why Why do we do what we do? That's philosophy. This is the study of theology. But why? Why do we study philosophy? And he says this. A couple of years ago, I visited a town where I was to lecture. A young woman told me she was coming to my lecture and then asked what it was to be about. I said the Blessed Trinity. She said, oh, and then after a distinct pause, ah, well, in other words, if her bishop wanted her to listen to a lecture on the Blessed Trinity, she would listen to it. She hoped, doubtless, that she would do even harder things if her bishop called for them. The one thing that emerged most definitely was that she expected no joy. I can't, Oh dear. Oh dear. With me, the study of theology, especially for beginners, written in a way I could understand it, it is a treasure to me. I get all excited. I'm just going to know God better, and I love it. And she thought it was without joy. Poor, poor soul. Um, And in that, she represented any number of millions of her fellow Catholics as a body we hope to go to heaven, which means spending eternity with the Blessed Trinity. And we expect the experience to be wholly blissful. But in the prospect of spending an hour with the Blessed Trinity here below, there is no anticipation of bliss. You know my summary on that one? Oy vey. Oy vey. Okay. The incident took me, Frank Sheet writes, the incident took me back 30 years. I was a boy, and I had remarked to a theologian how sad it was that a layman could not get a course in theology. He said, but why should you study theology? You're not obliged to. In my new excitement over dogma, I was quite incapable of giving any lucid answer to his question why. I mumbled something to the effect that the truth would make me free, and I wanted to be free. I shall try now to answer that question of 30 years back. In a way, he says, I'm still hampered now, as I was then, by a feeling of the strangeness of having to make a case for anything for anything so exciting and so joy-giving." But the joy and excitement of theological knowledge is like the joy and excitement of any other love. It cannot be explained to one who has not experienced it. It need not be explained to one who has. I shall keep, therefore, to the plainest of reasons. Truth is food and truth is light. Not on bread alone doth man live, said Christ our Lord quoting Deuteronomy to the devil. Everybody knows the phrase, and most people tend to compete it, rather to complete it according to their own fancy of what is most important to the hungry soul of man. Oh, there's the music for our first break, beloved. So we will take our break, and we will come back, and we will continue reading this until the next break when we'll take your texts, your calls your emails i hope this is good you know i never read a book without reading the introduction and the forward and the preface and all of that you miss so much when you miss all that you miss the whole flavor and context of the book it's it's very important to me um so god bless you don't go away we'll be right back after the break
3: in the midst of them, the Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network.
1: welcome back to mother Miriam live beloved we are right at the very beginning of Frank Sheed's book theology for beginners and we are now in um, just his opening statements um, answering the question why study theology at all ology uh, is the study of and Theo is God so theology is the study of God and um, zoology ology is the study of a, a zoo <laughs> zoology um uh animals so um let me let me just uh, start at the beginning of the sentence where we where we ended not on bread alone doth man live said christ our lord quoting deuteronomy to the devil Everybody knows the phrase, and most people tend to complete it according to their own fancy of what is most important to the hungry soul of man. But it had its own completion in Deuteronomy, and our Lord reminded the devil of that too. And the ending is, but by every, the beginning is not on bread alone doth man live, and then it says, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God reveal the truth in is food, beloved. It's food for our soul. I remember um, when I got my first Bible from my cousin, she wrote in it uh, from, I think it's Psalm 103. I'd have to look it up. Um, Thy words were found and I did eat them and they became the joy and rejoicing of my soul. It's from Jeremiah um Jeremiah wrote them so maybe from the book of Jeremiah I'd have to look a, look up the verse or Psalm 103 all these things that come into my mind I'd have to look it up but see it's it's our food it's indeed our food. Now it is a peculiar out it's a peculiar out peculiar peculiarity I can't say the word peculiarity. <laughs> Peculiarity, all right, (laughs) of food that it nourishes only those who eat it. Now, this is not a, a deep science trick. It nourishes those who eat it. We are not nourished by the food that someone else has eaten. To be nourished by it, we must eat it ourselves. Truth is light, too. Not to see it is to be in darkness. To see it wrong is to be in double darkness. The greater part of reality can be known only if God tells us. Doctrine is what he tells us. Lacking it, we lack light. Doctrine is simply teaching, the teaching of the truth. To be stumbling along in the dark, happy to be in the knowledge that our guides can see, is not at all the same thing as walking in the light. You hear that? We could follow others the rest of our life. We could say, I don't know the faith because my priest didn't teach it. The bishops are not teaching us. But that may be the case, but that cannot be any excuse when we stand before God. He gave us ears to hear and eyes to see, and we've learned uh, to read, and uh, our faith needs to be more important than anything else on earth. And so we need to learn our faith. We need to read the scriptures. We need to read the catechism and the encyclicals of the church fathers and all of that. It is immeasurably better than stumbling through the dark with blind guides, but it is poverty all the same. Poverty did not know your faith. And what happens if you follow men or women in their teachings and they're wrong? There are so many cults through history and people have been destroyed by them it will be said that no catholic can go wholly unnourished for there is the eucharist or wholly in the dark because of the truths that the church does manage to get through to the least interested of her children as to the eucharist this is most gloriously true Though even there a man, even there a man will be helped by going as far as the doctrine, going as far into the doctrine as the church can take him, that he may know better by what food his soul lives. But as to the truths, I'm not at all so sure, says Frank Sheed. Some mos- monstrous shapes flit about the Catholic mind. He says, I remember an educated Catholic who was asked how God could be in three persons and answered, quote, God is omnipotent and can be in as many persons as he likes. Can you imagine that? omnipotent is all powers so he can be all-powerful he can do what he wants be as many persons as he wants that was one answer and another who having broken his fast and wishing to go to communion thought it would be all right provided he went to confession first and having kept no record i cannot tell the number of times i have heard the phrase the poor holy ghost he is so neglected that is he does not get much of our attention and must make out as best he can with the company of the fathers, of the father and the son. Let us not labor this. A Catholic, thank God, never can be wholly unnourished or wholly in the dark, but he may be living an undernourished life in the half dark, and that is a pity. And beloved, now during the coronavirus where most people are not able to have the Eucharist, not able to get to Mass, and many are still denied confession. Um, now we don't have that. And if we're ignorant of our faith, we what do we have? We don't. We don't. It's awful. Let me continue here. Just a few minutes more until the break, and then we'll take your calls. Frank Sheet says, I cannot say how often I've been told that some old Irishman saying his rosary is holier than I am. With all my study, I dare say he is. For his own sake, I hope he is. But if the only evidence is that he knows less theology than I, then it is evidence that would convince neither him nor me. It would not convince him because all those rosary-loving tabernacle-loving old Irishmen I have known, and my own ancestry is rich with them, were avid for more knowledge of the faith. It does not convince me, because while it is obvious that an ignorant man can be virtuous, it is equally obvious that ignorance is not a virtue. Men have been martyred who could not have stated a doctrine of the church correctly, and martyred is the supreme proof of love. Yet with more knowledge of God, they would have loved him more still. Knowledge serves love. It can turn sour, of course, and serve pride or conceit and not love. And against this, we poor sons of Eve, we poor sons of Eve must be on our guard. Knowledge does serve love. It serves love in one way by removing misunderstandings which are in the way of love, which is which at the best blunt love's edge a little. For example, the fact of hell can raise a doubt of God's love in a man who has not had his mind enriched with what the church can teach, with what the church can teach him. So that he is driven piously to avert his, gauge, his gaze rather, from some truth about God in order to keep his love undimmed. But knowledge serves love in a still better way because each new thing learned and meditated about God is a new reason for loving him. I have uh, an exercise that I put together years ago and when uh, it's it's one of the studies that our sisters uh, do here. I just have run off copies Um, to go through the scripture uh, and let's just say read a page, read a chapter at a time or a page at a time. And based on that, without any cross studies, without any other Knowledge of God coming in to determine what God is from those readings. Uh, Genesis chapter one, God created everything. He created everything. So, what is true about God in Genesis chapter one? You could say, well, He created everything, yes, but that's what He did. What is true of God because of what He did? Well, you could say, well, He's the creator, and you'd be right. An attribute. Also, that is true of God because He created everything. You could say He's all powerful, and that would be right too. You could have several answers, but only from Genesis one. Um, the second question is, what is true about us? Because the whole of Scripture tells us about us and about God, God and us. That's it. In the Scriptures, is God loves. The Scripture is God's love letter to us, and so. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, God is all-powerful. He made everything. What's true about us, mankind, in Genesis chapter 1? I don't know. We didn't do anything. We were created. We were passive. We didn't do anything. So what's true of us in the negative? We're not all-powerful. We could do it that way. God is all-powerful, and we are not. So then what does that have to do That's the third point. What does it have to do with my life today? Well, I could say, well, if God's all-powerful and I'm not, maybe he could handle the problem I'm having. And then end with a prayer, writing down a prayer. Lord, you're all-powerful. I am not. I ask you to help me to, uh, especially during this coronavirus, to help the children to know their faith, to learn it, to encourage them in it to even learn how to help them in their schoolwork. See, it's a wonderful study. And by the end of the scripture, you go through scripture like that, from Genesis to Revelation, um, you will know who God is. You will know the story of creation. You will know what God has done through Old Testament and New. But you will know who he is. You'll know the kind of God we serve. And you won't accuse him of not hearing your prayers. You won't accuse him of being absent. You won't accuse him of all the things we accuse him of when things don't go as we wish. You'll know the perfect, loving God that he is, that he's always on time, that his ways are absolutely and always perfect. And you could say, well, what about this and this? You won't say it anymore if you read the whole Bible through with that plan. Number one, what's true about God? Number two, what's true about us in that passage? Thirdly, what does that, what's true of God and me have to do with my life today? And fourth, write down a prayer related to those attributes to ask God's help for you this day or to turn your life over to him. It's a wonderful thing. You will get to know the scriptures. You won't just go through the scriptures, but they'll go through you. And you'll get to know who God is. There's the music for our break, beloved. Um, and you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart toll free, 1 877 511 5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back.
2: Are you ready for full-contact Catholicism? This is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show. Each weekday, we're talking about the things that matter to Catholics, spiritual warfare, Marian devotion, tradition, and staying strong in your faith in this culture of death. I hope you'll join us. Give us a call during the show at 888-526-2151. It's the Terry and Jesse Show, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, heard around the world on the iCatholic Radio app. The Catholic Current, on the Station of the Cross, Catholic Radio Network. He goes to St. Typical's, and there's Father Cheerful in his polyester vestments, and you've got a chorus of castrati-like singers warbling about Jesus as the butterfly who never dies. That's going to crush a young male spirit. Tune in weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and iCatholic Radio for The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ.
1: Welcome back, beloved, and we are here now for the whole half hour. It's ours to answer your questions, your emails, your texts, uh, all of that. So write in, call in uh, with anything on your heart. Our lines are wide open, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from David, and David says... Dear Mother Miriam, I'm a 26-year-old Catholic man soon to be married to a former Episcopalian convert to Catholicism next year. We plan to be married at our local FSSP parish, that is the Fraternity of uh, uh, St. Peter, Um, Fraternity of St. Peter, I forget that's just... um, One S, there's another S in there. Um, uh, uh, Okay, I'll I'll have to look it up in the next break. FSSP, that's where we go also. FSSP Parish, um, which is a Latin mass parish. Um, uh, While, uh, let's see now, we plan to be married at our local FSSP parish while... um, uh, Which I think you mean, which celebrates the traditional Latin Mass wedding rites next summer. Most of my family, especially my parents, grew up in what's called the Novus Ordo Mass and have fallen into apostasy. I want to be a witness to the faith for my family, even though I do struggle with certain sins which some members of my family are quick to point out at me. Since the family, is often referred to as the domestic church. How can I help evangelize my immediate family so as to lead them back to faith? I'm really the only one who regularly attends Mass on Sundays and tries to keep the traditions and practices of the Catholic faith, whereas most of my family do not. Thank you, Mother, and may God bless you sincerely, David. Well, David, I don't know your relationship with your family how far you live from them, what your communication with them. Normally, the best way you can evangelize a family, which is the hardest to do, your own family, is simply to live your faith without compromise in love, to always speak the truth or live the truth in love. In love, so people don't feel judged or criticized, or if they feel judged, let it be God who judges them and not our words or behavior. So, at the moment, without more information, dear one, I cannot think of how to uh, do anything more than that. But you certainly have a wedding coming up, and to whatever degree your family is involved now or you're involved with them, um, I- I'm sure you're going to have more gatherings with, um, your fiance's family and yours. And I would just say, um, simply be Catholic. I often say it live as if it's true in your mannerisms, in your speech, in your posture, in your behavior, in your dress, uh, you know, uh, dress modestly you and your fiance, um, I would keep your hands off her. You know, don't give them any reason um, to—doesn't mean you can't put an arm around her if you're engaged—but don't give your family any reason to question your faith. Let them uh, see you living a faith and having a purpose in life that they do not have and they've never understood— uh, otherwise they wouldn't have left the church maybe they didn't leave the church but as you say they're they're not practicing and practically they have left the church because if they are responsible for what they did that they would be in mortal sin so um, I would just say be Christ to them be Christ to them and watch your again uh, your behavior and your language and and so forth um, okay. Um, hold on a minute now. Um, we have an email from Jill hello mother she says i'm f- I'm a fairly regular listener to the local r- radio station around in lower mid-Michigan, 89.7 FM, out of Grand Rapids, I believe. I heard you reading a story Thursday, April 17th, about a homeless man on a park bench and a young man, school age. It was so touching, and I was trying to locate the book, but I cannot Google it. I thought the name was Easter on a Park Bench. Do I have the correct title? It definitely is a book I would like to share with most, multiple people. Thanks for your attention. God bless, Jill. Um, Jill, you know, Easter on a Park Bench may have been um, the, um, the name of the story. I'm not quite sure. But I read it straight out of the book. And a, the book is titled Easter Stories, Classic Tales for the Holy Season. It's published by Plough, P-L-O-U-G-H, plowcom on the Internet. And so it's their book, and it's Easter Stories, Classic Tales for the Holy Season, written by C.S. Lewis, Elizabeth Gouge, Leo Tolstoy, Jane Clemon, Andre Um uh, Pook Koopman and many Oscar Wilde, so many other uh, wonderful authors. So it's it's really excellent, and um, you can get it online if you um, if you just probably cu- uh, just type in pl- plow p l o u g h plus Easter stories and it, it'll come up. Okay, God, I don't know if it's on Amazon, but I just typed in plow and Easter stories. And and brought it up. Okay, dear Jill. God bless you. Hold on a moment now. Um, we have an email from Carol, um, and Carol says, "Dear Mother Miriam, I uh, listening to your show today. I struggle deeply with what you said to a woman regarding her gay niece. I understand that the Bible clearly says." homosexuality is against god however there are many homosexuals who do amazing acts of charity my struggle is that god will truly turn them away because of the way he allowed them to be born please help me understand thank you and god bless carol carol my dear you're under great misunderstanding god is the creator of all things of us his highest creation. We're a little lower than the angels, just for this time. Um, and all God does is good. God does not create homosexuals. God does not create human beings with um, uh, with sin with disorderly lives that amount to sin. He does not. There are children born autistic and handicapped and mentally deprived and many other physical ailments, but homosexuality is a sin, and God does not build sin into the baby in that mother's womb. There's no way that that is the case. And so uh, I know many homosexualities who live great lives of love and charity, but that will not get them to heaven. Charity does not get them to heaven. Um, homosexuality, God has told us in the scriptures, no homosexual will be in heaven. Not No one. No homosexual, no slanderer, no gossiper, no murderer, all in the same category will enter heaven. No one. And so someone who is on their way to hell, can do great, great acts of charity, but they don't count for heaven. The only acts of charity that count are acts of charity done for the glory of God and in Christ. When one is not in Christ and their motive for the act of charity is not for the glory of God, it means absolutely nothing. And so... That homosexual homosexual is geared for hell unless he or she repents and turns to God. That's it. There's no other way. There's no other reality, and you'll find no other reality in all of Scripture or in church teaching. So, um, uh, God will not t- turn someone away because of the way He allowed them to be born. Everyone is born with the knowledge of God in them, and through baptism, they're made children of God. And God will not turn them away. If we turn ourselves from God, he respects our choice. Okay, now let me see uh, what we have next. We have an email from Terry. Um, All right, let me just see. Um, Terry. Uh, In the midst of COVID-19, we know all too well that there are people suffering from not only the virus, but from anxiety, depression, loneliness, you name it. It is awful. It has, this is Terry's uh, uh, email, it is awful. It has even affected one of my friends profoundly. With me having a great concern for her, I have reached out to her a number of times and even offered her the opportunity to chat by phone or video chat. Understandably, she hasn't been taking my office to chat, but at the very least, she has been responding in a timely manner to my texts every time I check on her. Is there anything more that I can do to help her cope with her stress? Please keep her in Uh, Prayers as well, for I am greatly concerned for her well-being. Thank you, and God bless. Um, uh, This is difficult. Many there are is an increase of suicide and depression, all of that during this COVID-19. You haven't said if your friend is Catholic. You haven't mentioned her faith at all, and um, uh, whether or not she's Catholic. Uh, I don't know what your conversations are with her, but you can tell her that uh, as depressing as the current situation is and her own personal background and um, difficulties, um, the only thing to set us free from all of that and to make us a new creation is the Lord Jesus Christ, that she needs to give herself to him. And if she's Catholic, um, renew her baptism vows, uh, whether she made them or her parents made them, and, and believe in God. If she does not, if she turns her back on God, which is what it looks like she might be doing. Sometimes we, we sympathize with people in depression. I understand that. They need tenderness. They need kindness. But they need something to wake them up. If they sink from anxiety, depression, and lowliness, they are can sink to a point of despair and no return. And I would throw cold water on her by saying, ter- your friend, you know, I, 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 I love you. I understand your point, not completely, but, you know, I, I pray for you. I, I'm so, um, I hurt with you for the state you're in, but if you allow yourself to sink into hopelessness and despair, you will be committing mortal sin. And she may say, "What? where's the sympathy of God? Where's all that? Well, his sympathy is there. When someone's drowning, sometimes you have to knock them over the head to save their life and get them out of the water. And you need to tell her that's what you're doing. You need to wake her up. You need to splash cold water in her face that she realizes that she is allowing herself to sink into despair and will have no opportunity to turn to god all of eternity is before us forgiveness hope love everything it doesn't depend on us it depends on christ but it depends on our turning to him and god will give us every single grace to do that he's a merciful god okay terry there's I hope in some way that helps. Maybe also in addition to texting, you can um, uh, use FaceTime so that you could see each other. I don't know if that'll help or not. There's the music for our break. We'll be back one more time. And you're welcome at this point to call in toll-free. it is 1 877 5483 or email at mother at the station of the We'll be right back, beloved.
4: We stand at a crossroads in history. We can stand up for life, family, and a Christian culture. Or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day Thank you for helping to save the culture.
0: Do you have questions about your faith life and the life of your family? Ask Mother Miriam each weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern when the Station of the Cross brings you Mother Miriam Live, a program to inspire you and offer solutions to many of life's challenges.
1: Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam with some very exciting news. Through a partnership between the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, you will be able to listen and watch Mother Miriam live on YouTube and Facebook at the Station of the Cross, including past episodes on podcast. As always, you're going to be able to call, text, or email whatever your questions are. If you are not able to watch the live stream, you'll still be able to listen on your local Station of the Cross affiliate, on the i. Catholic Radio mobile app or at thestationofthecross.com. God bless you. Okay, hell now. Let me just see the last segment. We today we've got uh, lines wide open, and um, uh, the toll free number. Sorry, I've been distracted here. The toll free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, and the email is mother at thestationofthecross dot com. We have an email from Mary. Dear Mother Miriam, I came across a podcast on or about January 29th or thirtieth. And you stated that SSPX marriages are not valid, but they are valid, according to the article entitled, SSPX marriages are incontestable. In the article, and I quote, either the local bishops, insofar as possible, will delegate a diocesan priest to receive the vows according to the traditional rite before the celebration of the mass by a society priest— or the ordinary may grant the necessary faculties to the priest of the society, who is also to celebrate the Holy Mass. End quote. It is Pope Francis, according to Cardinal Mueller, that wants to remove quote, any uncertainty regarding the validity of the sacrament of marriage contracted before a society priest. It is a bit confusing, but from what I read, the marriages by the society are valid. Is there anything wrong with the way I'm thinking, Mary? I don't think there's anything wrong with it, Mary. I think what you've got here is what I read. I read directly from a canon lawyer that in order—they're not they're not valid just uh, by the priest alone, without the bishop um, appointing a diocesan priest— Um, It must be a diocesan priest. It must be uh, within the diocese. Um, uh, The SSPX, because they are yet considered in schism, is not a diocesan parish. And in order to be married, a a truly valid Catholic marriage within a diocese, there must be a diocesan priest. So um, uh, your statement Uh, either the local bishops uh, insofar as possible will delegate a diocesan priest to receive the vows according to traditional rite before the celebration of mass by a society priest. That's exactly right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you say the ordinary may grant the necessary uh, faculties to the priest of the society Who was also to celebrate the Holy Mass? I I cannot validate that statement. I don't recall it. I don't remember it being read, and I don't know that the local bishop has that power. I, I just don't know that he has that power. And then you say it is Pope Francis, according to Cardinal Mueller, that wants to remove any uncertainty regarding the validity of the sacramental marriage contracted before a Society of Priests. Well, he may want to, but there's no way saying that he has, to my knowledge, again. So um, my knowledge, I'm not a canon lawyer, and I'm not 100% up on all this, but the fact that he wants to um, doesn't mean that he has done that. And so as far as I, I know still, um, it needs uh, the uh, bishop to uh, send a diocesan priest to the parish for that uh, marriage to be valid. That's the only thing I know for sure. The other things I don't know for sure. There's a wonderful website, and it's called Canon Law Made Easy. And it's a very trustworthy a canon lawyer that has that site. And I believe that's where I read the article from. Canon law made easy. Okay. Um, we have a call from uh, someone who's calling in anonymously on the line. Hello. Uh,
5: hello, Mother Mary. My name is Dolores.
1: As Hi, Dolores. Of... Hi, sweetheart.
5: It's Joan, how is that for two saints?
1: <laughs> Dolores you know... Joan? Yes, Dolores All right. Joan. All right. Uh, Very good.
5: Uh, Yes, and and, uh, you have to have great courage with the name of St. Joan of Arc, I'm telling you.
1: You'll tell me,
5: uh, I know. Mother Mary, and there were were two things that I needed. You you were giving the names out of books, Theology for Beginners. Where do you get it? I do not want to go on Amazon. I do not respect Bezos.
1: You don't respect what?
5: Where can I get Theology for Beginners?
1: No, you you should. Number one... Let's see. It's published by Angelico Press, A-N-G-E-L-I-C-O, Angelico Press. Go to them. It's a Catholic publishing house. And just go to their website and look up Theology for Beginners. That'll do it. Any, any decent, I, I need to say that, any good Catholic bookstore should have it. Any good Catholic bookstore should have it. And again, online, Angelico Press.
5: Thank you, Mother. Now, uh, the other thing is, I wanted to give you some of the information that Catholics, the do of Catholics with this containment, you know, the imprisonment that we're suffering. Most people on the phone, what people are doing are saying, I am covering this conversation with the blood of Christ. The other thing that people are doing is getting uh, containers of holy water, purified holy water, preferably in glass bottles that you can keep, plus salt, whether it's, you know, regular salt, iodized salt, makes no difference. Get these in bottles and get the salt. Put it in the trunk of your car. Call your priest and ask your priest to come out distancing. Bless and exercise the water and the salt when you go through your neighborhood for a walk you can have a salt shaker sprinkle your neighbors with a bit of holy water on their lawns and in your neighborhood for protection what say you to this
1: i think it's fine i think uh exercised holy water is very very good
5: and the salt to be exercised
1: yeah and then the other that, thing those, is, both of those would have been um uh, given out in great measure, uh, probably at Epiphany, they are every year. But uh, priests can exercise water outside of that.
5: Yes, and 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 then a blessed candle. One should always have in the house.
1: Well, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. To have a blessed candle, absolutely, I do agree with that. But it needs to be blessed, absolutely. Very good. Okay, there, God bless another, you. There's,
5: there's a book from. Uh, Father O'Sullivan, who writes about the plague of 1432, and Mm -hmm. the fact that we should all be saying the holy name of Jesus reverently, reverently, and be in a state of grace so we don't block our prayer.
1: I'm with you 100 percent, Dolores Joan. Fantastic. And every time we say the name of Jesus, we should bow in reverence.
5: Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else you can tell us we can do Where we are, you know, and, of course, the rosary and um, uh, divine mercy.
1: Yes, Um, and uh, we need to make sacrifices. That's what we need to do. We need to live. Recently, you can go to it, everybody can, uh, to Taylor Marshall, the Taylor Marshall Show. And it was a program on uh, living as a traditional Catholic. And the main point that Taylor and his guest made is that to live as a traditional Catholic, in other words, to live as a Catholic, period, it's a life of sacrifice. We should always build sacrifice for others into our day. To every meal we have, in one meal, we don't put cream in our coffee. Another meal, we don't sprinkle salt on our eggs. Another meal, we take uh, less of the thing we love most. Whatever it is. That nobody will know, but it don't, not only gives us control over the flesh, but our life should be one of ongoing sacrifice. Every single Friday, no meat. That's the end of it. Abstinence completely. Uh, and if for some reason we have to have meat, don't forfeit a Friday sacrifice. We need to li- live um, as priests of God. We are priests, prophets, and kings in our lay life and we need to live that way. God bless you all. We'll speak with you tomorrow.